Well, good afternoon, St. Mark Church and those who are with us for the eight online. I'm happy that you're with us. I want to share uh, this afternoon a statement which is very confusing to someone who might have a worldview that's outside of the Christian faith. And I know a bunch of people who have left Christianity altogether because this statement alone makes zero sense. Here's the statement. We turn to God when bad things happen, even though we believe he could have prevented it in the first place. Think about that again. We turn to God when bad things happen, even though we believe he could have prevented it in the first place. It doesn't make much sense, but to those who pursue life centered around the reality of Jesus, it kind of makes sense even though we might, have, might not have a good explanation or, or not able to articulate why this makes much sense. And like I said, this has driven a huge post-Christian movement because of this statement alone. It makes zero sense, which I wanna, what I wanna do today is kind of break down this statement on why it doesn't make sense, but at the same time, it does make sense. Here's something that so many people fall into the trap of doing. It's this right now, faith in the promises of God versus faith in God. Well, again, there's a difference between faith in the promises of God versus faith in God. Why that statement earlier doesn't make much sense, here's one of the reasons why. So many of us fall into a trap of loving those promises of God, those verses that just are make amazing Instagram posts with a nice background, or those just make a great verse to put on a coffee cup or on a pen or whatever the case might be, something that make us feel good. And we hold on to these promises. And what happens, what happens subconsciously is we hold on to these verses and, and begin to, to paint a picture of a God who is a one-to-one -one transactional deity. What do I mean by that? Is that we pursue God as saying, okay, well, God said he'll give me the desires of my heart. I prayed, he didn't give me the desires of my heart. This is why I left Christianity all in the first place, because I prayed for this, nothing happened. He was never healed, he, he never got better. My parents decided not to stick uh, through their marriage, I, uh, whatever the case might be. And because I prayed for it, never, it never happened, because I held on to the promises of God, it never happened. This is why I, I left faith altogether. But even though there's something inside of me pulling at me to wanna come back to it, but that's the reason why I left, because the promises of God failed me. There is a difference between the promises of God and holding on to who God is. He is not a one-to-one -one transactional deity who we just come to him asking for X and we better expect Y to occur. If not, then everything crumbles. This is not who God is. Don't take my words for it. How did the early Christians throughout the centuries in our pre-denominational faith, what was their view or their articulation of who God is? Did they just hold on to, to promises or did they have a broader understanding or a higher view of understanding who God is? Here is the words that they used. I want to share with you the words of St. Gregory the theologian. He is somebody who we honor in our liturgical services. We, we mention his name at every liturgy. St. Gregory the Theologian, he said these words around the year 350 AD describing who God is. Ineffable, invisible, infinite, without beginning, everlasting, timeless, immeasurable, incomprehensible, unchangeable, creator of all, savior 
of everyone. These words, we pray to this day, this was written around 350 AD, and we still pray these exact same words in the St. Gregory uh, liturgy, in which we just prayed for our Christmas service, our Nativity Feast service. We, we, we uttered and pray these words till today of describing who God is, as opposed to just holding on to promises, but understanding there's nothing wrong with holding on to promises, but, but our pursuit of life is not based on just a transactional of a, of a promise and thinking that the, the reality or fulfillment of this promise has to look a certain way in my mind. If it doesn't happen the way that it's, that it's, that it's, that's in my mind and it doesn't occur in that same way, then everything is out the door. And this has led to a big movement of, of people leaving Christianity altogether because they, had a, they, they held onto a promise, didn't happen, and they left everything all together. Now taking the words of St. Gregory, the theologian of how he describes who God is by really describing who he is not. And I've talked about this before. This is called apophatic theology, describing who God is not. Because if I describe who he is, then I'm able to kind of just fit him inside my brain. And if he doesn't fit inside my brain, then, it, then, then that's not God. But if I describe God being incomprehensible, ineffable, somebody who I'm unable to articulate, there is no words in the English language that's able to capture the reality of who God is to us. This is who God is. He is ineffable. He is infinite without beginning, incomprehensible. Take the words of St. Isaac the Syrian. He said these words, uh, fast forward now from what St. Gregory the Theologian said around the year 350 AD. Now fast forward a few hundred years. This is when St. Isaac the Syrian said around the year 660 AD. If God is slow in answering your request, or if you ask, but do not promptly receive anything, do not be upset, for you are not wiser than God. That you are not wiser than God. We have all been in positions where our prayer has not been answered and we're left kind of stranded. Maybe some of us hopeless, isolated. You start questioning everything. And I get it. We've all been there and maybe you are there right now. But this is a reminder from the words of St. Isaac the Syrian. And we're not wiser than God. Who are we to, 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 to come back to God and saying, well, you didn't answer this and you said this and you said that and you promised this. How come you didn't come and answer my prayer in this way? In a weird way, I find tremendous amount of comfort by looking at the, the, the hardships and pain and, and trials and journey of the early Christians in the first few centuries. I love looking at their journeys and seeing actually their unanswered prayers. I love how they, they, they prayed for something and it didn't happen. In a weird way, I find a little bit of comfort in that. Because let's face it, we can all relate of having unanswered prayers in our own life. I find a little bit of comfort by seeing them in so much hardship and them being so open and vulnerable to, to, to them being in pain and not having answers. It gives me comfort because I'm not any different than them. I'm in the same position as them in many aspects of my life where I pray for something and God is not answering in the way that I expect him to. What I want to highlight now is, is part of that hardship, part of that unanswered prayer, part of them 
almost losing hope in a way, of a group of early Christians, which is recorded in the book of Acts, which kind of highlights and, and records the highs and lows of the early Christians uh, in the first century. This is re recorded by the physician, St. Luke the Evangelist, by him doing his comprehensive research and, and recording the life of Jesus in the gospel, in which we have of St. Luke, and what he records also in the book of Acts, which, again, records the, the, the journey of the early Christians as the movement of the church was beginning to thrive and, and having to deal with various hardships and tribulations. We're picking up in Acts chapter 12. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. So this is not King Herod that, that, that you know, the killed the babies of Bethlehem. No, actually, this is his grandson. So kind of fast forward here. We're, we're about 15 years after uh, the, the resurrection of, of, of Christ. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. So if you understand maybe the cultural or political atmosphere at this time, you have, the, you have this, this king who's wanting to put down this movement of the way, or movement of the church, movement of, of, of those who are following Jesus. He's wanting to put all that to death, and he is gaining tremendous amount of political points by not only arresting James, but also killing him because he was a prominent leader in the church, him being a disciple. So he had a, you know, a, a prominent role in the movement of the church, but now him being arrested and persecuted and died, he gained a lot of political points for those in the city who were against the movement of, of Christianity. We continue. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. Now King Herod, he's saying, wow, look at me, man. I'm getting, I'm getting a lot more followers and getting funding for re-election here by the, by the Jews. I, I, I'm getting a lot of popularity just because of what I did to James. So you know what? Let me get the big fish in, in, in the sea here. Let me, get, let me get Peter. He was a very prominent disciple. You know, he, he, he was very verbal and, 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 and gifted in being a public speaker. So he's also another disciple. Let me try to get him. So this is exactly what King Herod did. So when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Festival of Unleavened Bread. He, again, St. Luke is recording details that he's recording of these events because he's recording history for us. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after, after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Pause and let us digest this. King Herod now is, is going, going for, for the main prize. He's, he's got St. Peter. He got him arrested, but put him on trial. He's getting more political points, more popularity, as now he's persecuting and putting down the movement of the church. Of course, the Jews are loving this, right? They persecuted and killed Jesus. Now they want to make sure they abolish all those who followed Jesus as well. He's getting a tremendous amount of popularity. Peter is arrested about to be persecuted. But what does the church do? They pray for the safety and release of Peter. Why on earth would they begin to pray for Peter when they just saw their friend James also be arrested and also killed? So what gives them any courage or confidence or hope to continue to pray for the release of their friend Peter when they just saw what happened to their friend James not long before that? What gives them any courage to move? Because, they, hey, they just prayed for James, and he ended up uh, be, being killed. 
So what gives him any confidence to, to, to pray again for the same thing, expecting a different result? I mean, they were praying for the release of, of, of James. He didn't. He got killed. They prayed for something. And the exact opposite occurred. What anchored the, or the early followers and leaders of the church? What built their, their bedrock and foundation in their prayers and in their pursuit of God? Was not because one answer was prayed and that gave them momentum. Because of the reality of what they experienced in Jesus. Because they saw death redefined. They saw life redefined. They saw life come from death themselves. They saw the best, the worst thing happen to the best person they have ever known. And because they experienced that as first eyewitnesses, this is what gives them hope. This is what gives them confidence, even when they have unanswered prayers. I'm sure God has not come through for you on various things. Maybe someone who was sick, or maybe a hardship in your marriage, or something going on in your family, or your own personal life, or your own personal struggle, or for your career. I'm sure that you can relate to God not coming through through your prayers. And it's easy to kind of lose hope. But the beautiful thing is, you are in great company. You are in great company. I'm in great company when my prayers go unanswered. When I expected God to come through, I'm not asking anything selfish. I'm asking God to come through and, and, and to solve this issue, to give me clarity on something. And when I, when, I, when I get no answer, I'm in great company. That's the beautiful thing on the richness of our ancient faith is that we, we, we look at the stories of those who have come before us who have unanswered prayers, who, who, who start questioning things, but their pursuit of, of taking their limitedness and pursuing the unlimited by taking their brokenness and desiring to find wholeness, by them taking their unanswered prayers and coming to the one who redefined what life is about because they experienced the worst thing happened to the best person on planet earth. It made no sense to them then, but when they saw the reality of who Jesus is and how their life was rocked because of that, this is what gives them tremendous amount of hope and confidence. We are in great company because we're not the first persons and we're not the last to have unanswered prayers. But we know that through it all, the God, the ineffable, the incomprehensible is working through it all. This, this reality is what gave hope to the early Christians as they were praying for, for the release of James, but he ended up getting persecuted. This is what allowed them to have confidence and to pray for Peter, not knowing what was going to happen. But they continue to pray because their bedrock of their prayer was not uncertainty, was not the answers to certain circumstances in this temporal world. What gave them hope and confidence is knowing who they were praying to and knowing how God works, that he's beyond our comprehension. If they saw death being redefined and life being redefined in God incarnate through Jesus, this changes their optics of how they view prayer. This changes what they define as being good or bad or successful or not successful because they know how God is working through it all. This is what gives them hope. Peter, who is now in prison, and he saw what happened to his friend James, 
and he probably has a good idea of what's happening to him next, him about to be put on trial and, and potentially persecuted. What was his mindset? What was his heart set on? The beautiful thing is we still have manuscript that, that still exists till today of us hearing the words of St. Peter as he's in prison, not knowing what was going to happen the next morning. These are the words of St. Peter that he says. <clears throat> Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Great. Isn't hope such a great word? It's so nice because it feels good. We should have hope, right? We love the word hope. But the beautiful thing of the Christian worldview, it is not a theoretical fluffy word to us. Now hope is personified. Hope is a reality in the person of God and flesh. Let me read the verse again. Again, these are the words of St. Peter, who has every, road to be, has every right to be hopeless of what was about to come his way. But why did he not lose hope? because of what he saw with his own two eyes and experienced in Jesus. Praise be, he's giving praise. This is St. Peter giving praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. What I love of what, what, of what St. Peter is saying is that he's like, listen, I'm, I'm not just, just here to give you a nice uh, a speech filled with hope. Like this is come, I, I, I'm living this right now. I, I'm in this dark dungeon, not knowing what tomorrow expects. But I utter praise because through this fire, I am being refined. I am being edified. I mean, if you take a, a, a big clump of, of clay, some nice Georgia clay, and you put it through fire, you're going to come out with gold. Like he understood this in reality, in, 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 in the world, and he understood that for himself, that he's finding edification through this pain. Yes, his prayers might go unanswered in the way he wants them to be answered. But he knows that through it all, the God is working to refine him through it. And because of that, his heart is set on only uttering praise, even though there is still so much that is unanswered. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Like St. Peter is, is wanting to give hope to the movement of the church as he's in prison. Saying, listen, our pursuit, like don't, don't lose sight of the bigger picture of things. Yes, this stinks. Yes, there is tremendous amount of grief. But through this trial, which I'm experiencing myself right now, th this is for our edification. This is for the salvation of our souls. He had his eyes set on the end goal. He understood 
that yes, I can continue to pursue my heavenly father through my prayer of what I desire, but I know that his response to my prayer, regardless if it's what I want or not, I know it is for my edification, is refining me through this fire that I am going through right now in this temporal world. But hey, I know that I'm not just living for this temporal world. My eyes are set on for the age to come. Our hope. Our hope is not anchored on a nice fluffy word of hope that makes us feel nice warm inside. Our pursuit of hope is not based on, on just a theology which, which seems kind of out there, just nice over-spiritualized words. Our hope is not just based on a book, but it what is recorded in the book, which is the person and reality of who Jesus is. Because the tomb is empty, because death has been overcome by his own death, this is what hope is for us. It's not based on the circumstances and the, and, and, the, and the response to our answered or unanswered prayers. We know that through it all, God is working. And just as St. Peter said, he, I mean, he could have easily added in, in what he's writing in prison, saying, listen, this is personal experience. I'm not just speaking to you from 100 miles away just to make you feel warm and fluffy inside to get you through this pain. I'm through going through the same pain. But my eyes are pushing through to look past this, knowing that this is refining me. But my eyes are set on something so much bigger. If I were to ask, if I were to interview St. Peter while he was in prison, and I got access to, to, to interview him, and I asked him, hey, man, aren't you scared? Aren't you scared? Didn't you see what happened to James? Aren't you worried about what will happen to you? Aren't you concerned? His response to me would be, my confidence or what's going to help me sleep at night is, is not on a circumstance. It's not the result of what the circumstance will be. Is I have clarity on knowing who I am pursuing. I have clarity because I saw with my, my own two eyeballs the reality of God and flesh. I saw the worst thing happen to the best person. And because of that, and because I saw this radical view of what love is, this radical view of what life is, this is my bedrock. This is my foundation. Not on circumstances. Yeah, it stinks. I'm going to miss James, my friend, what happened to him. But, but, but my pursuit is something so much bigger. There are times in our life, and I, like I said, you might be going through it now, where we have unanswered prayers. But sometimes our prayers are answered and still leave us confused. Like, this is personally. Like, this past Tuesday, this past Tuesday, I was in the midst of, 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 of not an easy fight with COVID, like many of you have, have, have gone through. And we've all seen people who have not survived COVID, and maybe some of us in our family or, or in our church family, or those around us who have survived COVID. And because I'm immunocompromised, I was able to get a, a, a special um, antibody treatment that my physician told me about. Uh, because I'm immunocompromised, I was eligible to get like this new state-of-the-art antibody that was released by the pharmaceutical company Eli Lilly. So they, it literally, it was just released in December, okay, last month. It was released four weeks ago, and I'm eligible to get this antibody treatment. And then within days, I started feeling a lot better because of this treatment that I received, which obviously not the, the entire country or even the whole world got. And as I'm receiving this infusion of the, of this medication, which literally saved my life. I started thinking, I have attended funerals of people who have died from COVID, and there are hundreds of thousands of people who are suffering from this disease, who are unable to get this, this medication that I, that's going in my body right now. 
what, how do I understand how God is working? I have to remind myself that the one who I am pursuing is incomprehensible, is ineffable. I am unable to articulate how he works, but I know that I am being refined through, through fire, through hardship. You are being refined through hardship. And I know there is more to life than this temporal world. We know this is not the end. So how God is working and why am I receiving this drug and not other people? Who am I to know the mind of God? As St. Isaac the Syrian said, begin the, 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 the second we start finding ourselves in a trap of trying to understand how God thinks, this is where we begin to think that we are wiser than God, but we're not. His ways are higher than our ways. We continue to see the hardship of the church in, in, in the book of Acts. And what I love about seeing in, in Acts chapter 12 is that you see through the hardships of even as St. Peter is released from prison, he's not persecuted then, but he's released from prison, that even the other followers of, of, of the church, other Christians, did not even believe that they were looking at Peter, him being released from jail. They didn't even expect that their prayers to be answered. They had hope. They had hope, but they weren't expecting it because of what they saw happen to James. That even it's recorded in the book of Acts, their, 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 their lack of confidence and being surprised by seeing the reality of, of, of Peter being alive and released from prison. What I love about seeing in the Gospels and in the, in the early records that we have of the disciples, that there is a, a, a literature element called the criteria of embarrassment, which the disciples don't make themselves look like they had it all together. That we see them questioning their faith. We see them trying to pursue God and question things. We see them go on this journey in which you and I go through to this day of them trying to pursue the reality and love of who God is and the reality of who Jesus is. We see them go through this journey. And we can relate because we see them question things and go through hardships. In a way, that gives us comfort. It's not like they, they had this life with Jesus and everything was hunky-dory and smooth sailing from then. We see the roller coaster of the church. We see them going through pain. We see them have unanswered prayers in which you and I go through. But their foundation on which they continue to lean on was the reality of who Jesus is to them personally. And that should be our bedrock as well. We won't have the answers to everything. But that shouldn't stop us from continuing to pursue the reality of who Jesus is because like many of us, they were skeptics and hesitant on who Jesus is. But once they experienced him in an intimate way, that changed everything for them. In the midst of, of hardships that's recorded in the book of Acts and which we say till today, that the word of the Lord will grow, multiply and be fulfilled. The word of the Lord continued to grow, continue to multiply, continue to thrive, continue to, to, to change the, the course of world history because of the person of Jesus, because he is now hope personified. And that changed everything. Even with unanswered prayers, even in the midst of hardships, even in them being in the midst of fire, the word of the Lord continued to grow and flourish. This is why in the narrative of the love story in which we know as being the Bible, we can see St. Paul say these words, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. What is St. Paul saying? Listen, our worldview is very different. Our worldview is, is, is built on the foundation of, of death being overcome through Jesus and that being recorded by so many first eyewitnesses. I don't want you to grieve like the rest of them. Because our grief is only temporary because we're pursuing the age to come. 
because we have hope in the person of who Jesus is. This is why St. Peter could easily say, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is why St. Paul was able to say to a group of early Christians, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is why St. Peter was able to say these words as well. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, our hope, our hope is not on unanswered prayers, is not on certain circumstances. Our hope is in the reality of the person of Jesus. And this radicalized the early followers of Jesus. This radicalized the worldview of so many others. This transformed the course of world history because now hope has a name and his name is Jesus. We can have hope independent of having explanations. We can pursue hope independent of having explanations. Because if we're honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with you, there's some things I can't explain. I can't explain why I was given safe living, uh, life-saving treatment. And others are literally dying as I'm receiving this. I can't understand why your prayer was unanswered or is unanswered. And I can't understand that for myself when I'm going through hardships. But I know that who I am pursuing is way bigger than my problem. Because he has my anxiety, my issue, my fear, my struggle, my unanswered prayer in the palm of his hand. And he's working through it all, through this fire, to refine me, to edify me, to make me whole in him. There was a nice uh, blog post I read this week, the difference between hope and optimism. Hope and optimism. Hope is, is a theological virtue built on the reality of the person of Jesus and the events of him redefining what life is and what death is. Optimism is just, it, it, it's just, it, it's, it's just a logical brain synapse of me feeling optimistic. But, but, but as the disciples saw their savior dead, a dead body, whom they saw raise other people from the dead, they weren't optimistic then. But they were relying on hope, on knowing what Jesus is capable of doing and the reality of who he is, him being God and flesh. This is hope. They weren't optimistic. They weren't optimistic. And for our worldview, our pursuit of life, it's not just for us to be optimistic. Yeah, it's great to be optimistic. But for us, it's not just being optimistic just in a head thing. It's a whole body thing. It's hope. It's not just optimism. It's hope and the reality of the centrality of our worldview is who Jesus Christ is. This is why we can say with boldness, with confidence, as we, as we say these ancient liturgical prayers, for you are the life of us all, the salvation of us all. You are the hope of us all. You are the healing of us all. You are the resurrection of us all. Let us bow our heads for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, just as those early disciples had their prayers unanswered, and maybe we're confused on how you are working. We're not any different. We question things. We have our prayers unanswered the way we want them to be answered.
we sometimes lose hope. Sometimes our anxiety or our fear consumes us. But we can have comfort, we can have joy, we can have hope knowing that through this fire of hardships and trials that, that we are in the midst of, we know that we can hold on to the reality of who you are because you are not just someone who gives us promises and, and something for us to hold on at a superficial level, but you have come to make all things new because you are the resurrection of us all, you are the hope of us all, and you are the life of us all. Through the prayers of your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you guys for attending the eight, and I hope to see you next week. Take care. Mm -hmm.